Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Today is a awesome episode. Usually, I need a couple cups of coffee, but I'm flying high after this one. It was awesome. Yeah, we bring in a international guest, our first international guest. Hey, yeah. he's he joins us from Ireland. His name's Sid Landolt, and he's a partner developer in One Varsity with Kirkoff. And he kind of tells us about his vision for that. Walks through that project and also the rest of his career. It's one of these conversations where you're like, am I not setting my goals big enough in my own life? You know, like, do I need to reevaluate my goals? Like, how are you doing all that? And I'm selling one property at a time. Come yeah. on. You know, like, yeah. you just think about the opportunities are endless. And what an inspiring conversation. Yeah. Also, like sign I, me up for one varsity. Yeah. I feel really good. But you're right. I also feel now I need to reassess my entire life. One of the other things he's done, and we talk about it early on in the show, is World Housing. Fantastic organization. I haven't heard about it before this conversation. Really interested. If it resonates with you guys, obviously go ahead and make a charitable donation. He's providing housing for people in need around the world. So yeah, great conversation. And making it happen. He got, what do you say, over 5,000 units so far? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Basically for every luxury unit they sell, they provide housing. And there's requirements for those people to get that housing and it's changing the world. You know, he's making the world a better place, truly. Yep. Some other news that maybe we can highlight, you know, rental increase is now going to be at three and a half percent allowable in BC. You know, I'm sure there's some tenants that, you know, maybe are pushing back on that a little bit, but it has to happen in terms of landlords aren't making a ton of money. Interest rates are high. Expenses are high. We're in this inflationary market. The benefit of increasing your rent as a tenant, if you are a tenant tuning in on this and you're upset with us saying this is a good thing, it's either rent increases or the landlord sells that property because landlords can't continue to carry properties at a negative cash flow. So, you know, if you want to stay there, you kind of have to have an increase in rent. It's also like quite a bit below inflation. Well, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What's what's inflation? And there hasn't been the raises, right? So it's kind of just getting back to normal a bit. I think it's a good thing. Maybe good thing's not the right word, but it's fair compromise on what it is. It's right? I've actually necessary. Heard, yeah. I've heard pushback on the other side of the homeowner saying like, what the hell is not enough? I think it's a good compromise on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, do you want to touch on inflation? Because it is it is below inflation. Yeah. So this morning, inflation numbers are up 4%. My God, what's going to happen to the rates? I don't know. What do you think, Taylor? Obviously, it went up 0.7%. They said it was mostly due to gas, gas prices which is interesting at the end of the summer. Yeah. Well, our last episode, you know, if you haven't listened to that, please do. We had uh, chief economist of BC REA on and, you know, the Bank of Canada is mandated legally keep inflation down. So this doesn't really fall within their range or even close to it. So yeah, time will tell. This episode will probably be released right before the next Bank of Canada announcement. So yeah, Keep an eye on so it, do, but not much we can do. What do you do. think, though? Let's make some predictions here. What day is it today? September 19th. I, I've learned a lesson from Brendan, our last guest. Yeah, it's going to be a 50-50 split. Maybe <laughs> 51% chance of an increase, you know? He's very diplomatic I, about it. So before this morning, I thought it was for sure staying. Yeah. I, th- I was 90%. It's not going to move. Now I'm at the 50-50 mark, which, yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah like 
the Bank of Canada being legally mandated to keep inflation around 2%, and it goes up from 3.3 to 4, like they might have to make a move, right? Yeah. Yeah, we won't dig into it too much because we want you guys to focus on the show. So we'll um, enjoy the show. Sorry to depress you. We'll get back into a more positive show. Well, you can uh, fire it up after listening to the episode. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Have a good one. Enjoy. Welcome to the icebreaker. This segment of the show is brought to you by Taylor at Venture Mortgages. Come venture into the exciting world of mortgages. Okay. Welcome to the show, Sid. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks to both of you and your audience. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And yeah, you said pre-show, you're in a pretty interesting location. So whereabouts are you right now? I'm actually sitting in the Temple Bar District of Dublin, Ireland, <laughs> joining you guys this evening and morning your time. Great. Are you there business or pleasure, Sid? Actually, this one is pleasure, but I nice. spent a fair bit of time traveling all kinds of geographies on business. But I was in a wedding in Italy and we decided to extend for a little bit of extra time and tour Ireland. I've never been been here before so pretty excited about doing that yeah, that's pretty cool where's your heritage come from just looking at your last name i don't see that too often yeah it's actually switzerland and so okay. the land old family moved over in the 1930s into an area of british columbia called the bulkley valley smithers terrace area and it's actually settled by all kinds of swiss families in the 30s and so we were one of those swiss families that came over and i'm third generation swiss very cool yeah okay well how we like to kind of start the show for our listener to learn a little bit about you is just what's your perfect Friday look like leading into the weekend? What gives you energy? What makes you a productive individual? Well, that's a great question. I've never <laughs> been asked that before. Well, I would say that 80% of my Fridays start with a hockey scrimmage game from 7am to 8am. Oh, awesome. uh, and that's really? been going on for about 40 years, then breakfast after with all the guys that are playing. So there should be about 20, you know, 20 skaters, two goalies. And it's been a long standing tradition. And that's just the most amazing way to start off a Friday. What I found on Fridays, like I break my weekend, Mondays are prep, Tuesday, Thursdays are insanely focused, and Friday's a bit of a flex day. So if I have leftover stuff, I'll deal that on Friday. I do mid to long term project planning, or not just planning, but work on Fridays. And I like yeah. to finish off the day, just sort of what's going to happen on the weekend. And then how's my Monday going to start? I have it in my mind all the time on the weekend. And I yeah. find I'm much fresher starting the week when I do that. Cool. Where do you play hockey? Are you usually in Kelowna or Vancouver? Where are you normally based? Actually, I play in Queen's Park in New Westminster, which is one of the oldest ice services in the Lower Mainland and one of the best ice services. And so I live in the Lower Mainland and obviously spend a lot of time in the Okanagan with business yeah. interests and so on. And so, yeah, yeah, I just, I drive to Queen's Park and it's a tradition for many people to play on Friday morning hockey. You know, probably have had close to a hundred people through the years join that group, come and go. And it's a really strong tradition in our community to play Friday morning hockey at 7 a.m. That is amazing yeah. tradition I can get behind. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, if you ever come down the Lower Mainland, bring your gear and I'll get you into a match. It's a lot of fun. Be careful because I'm going to take you up on that. So. <laughs> well, listen, we'll be into that, Matt. I'm totally okay. So we have a lot of fun playing. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, to kind of go hand in hand with you being in Ireland right now, one thing I found incredibly interesting, like I spent a lot of time overseas myself, you were a co-founder of World Housing. Can right. You tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, when the financial crisis hit in 2008, it yeah. hit us particularly hard as a company because 90% of our business was centered in the United States and other geographies, which was yeah. actually impacted a lot more than Canada. And it's interesting when you go through something that difficult that you realize that there's a lot of 
people in need. And we shifted our business as we came out of the financial crisis to be at the top of the housing pyramid. So our business as an international new home marketing and sales broker was at the absolute top end luxury part of the market. Yeah. And we actually met a fellow by the name of Tom Mikowski, founder of Tom Shoes. And he was the guy that for every pair of shoes that he sold, he gave one away. And my business partner yes. at the time, Peter Dupuy and I, met him on the airplane coming back from LA. And we were actually trying to you know, help with the housing crisis in British Columbia, but ran into so much resistance that we thought, gosh, this model in developing world would be really cool to emulate with housing. How can we in the luxury real estate business start delivering homes? So we created World Housing in 2013, and we gave a home away for every home we sold in slums around landfills. We found out in the world, if we're at the top of the housing period, worst conditions in the world were slums around landfills in developing countries. And so actually the first project was Vancouver House and West Bank was our first partner in the deal. So of approximately 340 homes, we gave away 340 homes in a landfill in Cambodia called Sangmenche. Yeah, we gave it away to deserving families. And the concept was not just about houses, but it was to create social change in the communities that we were in. So the people weren't just given houses and then they fall apart. On the contrary, they received houses if they were qualified to receive it. And what happened was, I've been back a couple of times, the transformation in the community is nothing but remarkable. Because yeah, what happened was, just to share with you real quickly, in order to qualify, you had to not have drug or substance abuse in your home. Your kids could not be in the sex trade. You had to have your kids in school. And these qualifiers changed the community. And we work with a great NGO partner there. And thankfully, in the last 10 years, we've housed over 5,000 people in about eight countries around the world. And it's continuing to going strong today. That is incredible. Yeah. We're excited. That is incredible. Yeah, good for Somehow, you. So when you do that, Sid, like, are the governments pretty on board with you coming in and helping? Like, it must be different political environments in each country? or Yeah, we do rely on our NGO partners, non-governmental organization yeah. partners, most closely. We have very few government relations that we work with our partners. Some have more government interaction than not. Yeah. You find sometimes that the governments will tend to slow up. They will tend to interfere. <laughs> we, uh, so we work, <laughs> we work as privately and as non-government connected as we possibly can, right? So yeah. that's how we operate. And it really comes down to the partners that we're working with. And we only select partners where they're focused on social change as well. And like housing is a big capital item. And real estate's a big capital business. So it works quite well that the big capital in North America, let's say, marries yeah. with the much less capital needs for housing in the developing world, whether it's Cambodia, Philippines, Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, you know, many markets. You know, you can see the whole story on worldhousing.org, and that'll okay. give you the most up-to-date as to where we're at. And so very exciting organization. I think it's getting a whole nother level of energy and growth they're going through right now. And yeah. the team there is just fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like that really resonates with me. If us or our listener, can we contribute to this charitable cause or do you guys do it all in house? It's worldhousing.org. So what happens is we've S&P, while I was involved, covered all the overhead. So anything you contributed goes directly. And when you go on the site, you'll see the number of ambassadors and partnerships that have been created with the real estate community. So whether it's title companies in Canada, the United States, lenders, individual real estate professionals, real estate companies, right? Developers like Boza Developments, 
we did a property with them in San Diego. They gave a community away in Smoky Mountain in the Philippines. So mostly people within the real estate industry, because that's the industry that we've been in our whole careers. So yeah, it's very easy and you can get a hold of them very easily. And actually they've got all kinds of marketing materials. The most interesting thing that we found, developers were interested in the program, but it was the local real estate professional in every market that we were working loved it. I mean, the reaction that you're having, Taylor, is the same reaction Matt, that we had from most real estate professionals, individuals saying, how can I get involved? I love this. Yeah. How can I work this into my business with my customers? And you would be shocked how many of your customers will want to participate in it as well. Mm -hmm. And so there's home gifting ceremonies that are going on all the time for those that have participated. You know, got a great board, great group of ambassadors from certainly wall walks of the real estate industry. So please check it out to your listeners and yourselves because it's something exciting to get involved with. Yeah, we'll, we'll additionally, we'll obviously put this in the show notes as well so people know where to find it. But yeah, I, I love that. To me, this is the perfect way Thanks. to start a morning. I mean, hockey's great, but listening about this stuff is... Yeah. <laughs> Wicked. It's um, much more meaningful, much more meaningful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not to compare the two at all, obviously, but um, yeah, I love that. So with your international status, like obviously you seem like you're overseas a lot, you're building everywhere. You have a lot of international contacts. Why are you involved in Kelowna so much and how are you involved in Kelowna? Right. Right. Really good question. So just really quickly, I was a broker of new home developments for just about 38 years. About two years ago, I shifted to become a development partner, okay, where I take all my expertise that I've learned by selling 30,000 sort of new residential properties around the world yep. to all different buyers from around the world. And you really learn over time what people really want, sort of what they need, but really what they want. Yep. And that eye of the buyer as a development partner is very unique. So New Generation Properties, my company, partners with local developers. And we're currently partnering with Kirkhoff Developments in two properties. One in Summerland called yep. Lake House, which is primary and second home community. And then another property in downtown Kelowna called One Varsity. But very specifically, I had been away from the Okanagan for probably 20 years. You know, I had been to Penticton for a long time. Obviously, Kelowna is more of a city. So I've been there numerous times. And I did business there in the 1990s in a lot of the, what they call those master plan, more retirement empty nester communities back in the 90s on the West Bank and then out towards the airport and Kelowna Golf Club and so on. I got reintroduced to Kelowna about, or the Okanagan about four or five years ago. And whenever I look at a market, no matter where it is, sort of look at three things. And this is where I invest my time, energy, and capital. First is, is there an inflow of people? What is the immigration? So if there's an in-migration, that checks that important box. Second like is... The fastest growing. So yeah, go check here. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And capital flow. So yeah. is money pouring into the area? So when people and money are pouring into the area, those are the two big things. Yeah. And the next thing is, I call it government efficiency. You know, is there a really good, you know, city plan, regional plan? I see what our provincial government is doing right now, where there are saying we need housing development and they're encouraging yeah. the cities now to start getting very aggressive on delivering housing. These are the three yeah. things that I look at around the world. And interesting with Kelowna though, when I got back engaged in Kelowna about two and a half years ago, I saw the first two, the third one was just coming. 
But the difference I saw in Kelowna was when I was selling real estate in the 90s in Kelowna, we had a story. And I came back in call it 2020, 2021. It was the same story. And from an international perspective, I came in and said, stop. This is not the same story. The components are the same. The difference is this is an amazing small city. I've been to cities all over the world. And there was a magazine called Monocle Magazine, which does a survey of cities around the world. And Victoria at the time had been ranked somewhere in the top 25 small cities of the world. Are you kidding me? Victoria? Well, you got Kelowna. And look at the assets of Kelowna. And then yeah. this is actually how residents picked up on this. And they said, well, we, we should do something on small cities in Canada. And that's how Kelowna got ranked number two, because it's got all the components. And when you yeah. think about it, Canada is ranked one of the best countries in the world. And if Kelowna is one of the second best small city in the, Canada, <laughs> where does it sit in the world, of course? So yeah. the added excitement around Kelowna is, yes, the components of the recreation and of the lifestyle and of the emerging industries and all that stuff are great. I felt the story was being told from a very localized basis and it hadn't changed. I felt that needed to be elevated to a bit bigger perspective. It needed to be reframed to an international perspective and a national perspective because it's so obvious what's happening. And UBCO, well, that's the biggest stepping stone for Kelowna outside of an international airport is what's yeah. going to happen. The impact of UBCO downtown that's as big as the airport coming to Kelowna. Yeah. The international yeah. airport. Is that because international students or just youth finding like professional careers within Kelowna now? So it's actually both. So right now you have a natural, what I call organic move to Kelowna. Some of it fueled by COVID, but it started before COVID. So we're starting to see big cities, you know, they've lost a bit of shine, but they're still there. What's really grown is these smaller cities, even more than small towns. I think small cities are really like on the sweet spot of the COVID impact. So yeah. that trend had started. It's lifestyle. It's, hey, we can work anywhere, which got super energized like this as a result. Behind of, your computer? Yeah, like I'm in Dublin. You, guys, yeah. you know, like, hello, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so very good point. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. And the university effect on cities. The thing they don't talk about enough, in my mind, is international students and national students coming from all over and spending four years here. Yeah. And the number of people that say, I loved it here, I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna come back, or I'm gonna start my family here, or I'm gonna, you know, I married someone here, yeah. or number of marriages and romances that come out of university and so on. So yeah. I think the university itself is gonna be an international calling card. I realize the success of UBCO outside of Kelowna, right? I mean, still within Kelowna, but not yeah. in downtown. But yeah. you watch the impact of downtown, and the international footprint that Kelowna will have just as a result of years of international and national students now choosing this downtown campus, this is the energizer internationally for Kelowna. So I saw all these things and I went, wow, there's a much bigger story here than the traditional Kelowna story. It needs to be reframed. Yeah. You're like, let's put a building right across the street. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what a great idea. You know, what a great idea. Yeah. yeah, like I really love that. Yeah. yeah. I've spent a lot of time overseas as well. And you'd come back to Kelowna and you're so grateful for, you know, the surrounding areas, but there is a lot of room to grow and to be a better city. And I mean, we've discussed the OCP on here as well. And yeah, they're definitely yeah. going the right direction. So I when so. will one varsity be complete? Like Kirkhoff's the developer that's completing on Absolutely. It? Yeah. Yeah. We're looking about four years, right? Okay. So it takes about that amount of time, assuming 
everything goes through the city and we go to market this fall. You know, we're talking about delivering four years. So that would be, you know, late 27, early 28, right? Yep. I believe the university's completed in 27. Is that correct? Not I think so. my memory's going on me here. Yeah. But, you know, Kelowna is a city in the making. I mean, we're watching it right in front of our very eyes, right? Really is an exciting time. And I think that very impressed with the planning the city's going through, thoughtfulness around it, commitment to cycling and commitment to sustainability. And really anything ahead of the curve, like the province kind of announced their new plan going forward and Kelowna was on it, you know, like kind of getting ahead of the curve and not waiting to be told what to do and kind of driving the bus there. So that's been nice to see. Yeah, yeah, it really has. And that proactivity and the idea of densifying downtown, well, the concept of densifying downtown and making that a core, I mean, that's probably the most sustainable practice you can have, right? Where people are walking more and they're biking yeah. more and they're driving across the bridge and, you know, so much more can be there. There's a lot of employment there. There's a lot of entertainment, all of that. And that's the success. I mean, Taylor, you talk about going to visit cities around the world and you always wonder like, wow, it's so great. Why can't we have something like that when you're in a European city? Well, that's exactly what's happening. The things you love about going to great cities around the world, both small and large, is the walkability, is the biking, is the transportation system and living where you just go downstairs and walk a block and you're at the grocery store and all of those types of things. And, you know, you can see Cologne is that in the making and it's not a perfect growth. Everything doesn't work perfectly, but you can see where it's going and you can see it's pretty exciting time right now. Yeah. What is your exact relationship or role with One Varsity in Kirkhoff? Just, yeah, forgive yeah. my ignorance. Like, what role do you play in that development? Right. I'm a partner in the development. Okay. So, so, so like, are you yeah, we have a designing the, like how many one bedrooms, how many two bedrooms, like the size? Are you hands-on yeah, kind of thing? Or? Yeah, product market fit. I'm very hands-on. Very, very okay. hands-on. Yeah. And the overall concept of the building, because it's quite easy to just build any old high-rise, right? But when yeah. you take a look at one varsity and what makes it distinct, it's distinctly different than virtually any high rise. And I'm going to say in Western Canada right now, probably Canada. And, you know, I can talk about that if you'd like. But, Please you know, do, yeah. yeah, my goal in every property my company is involved with is how do you create a distinct one of a kind property? Because that's yeah. where the value is for the owners. Mm -hmm. Right. If I may just share with you its primary distinction. I mean, obviously, it's in Kelowna and we know what's happening there. It's the a city in the making, great city in the making. We know it's going to be in this university district, and we can talk about that in a minute, but what happens in a university district? I just mentioned how internationally Cologne will become because of the university, but there's other effects as well. But one varsity in particular, one of the greatest problems in high-rise living, and actually in six-story frame as well, depending on how they're designed, is loneliness. There is no social connectivity. So if you're in a high-rise, like my wife and I spend part of our year in a high-rise in downtown Vancouver, Vancouver House. Yeah pretty approachable social guy. I bet you we know three people out of 350 units. Like it's not designed, okay, to create social connectivity, which creates community and neighborhood. You talk yeah. to people who live in high rises and it's, you walk out of your home, you go down thing and out. Like where is our connectivity here? And through design, we've taken the benefits of a horizontal, you can't see my arm here, a horizontal neighborhood, right? Yeah. And we've, Created vertical. So one varsity is not a building. It's a vertical neighborhood. Okay. Just about 340 homes. So that's yeah. the size of any common neighborhood that you'd have in Kelowna. Now, how we've created the amenity, how they're adjacent to each other, how people move through the building creates neighborhood, creates social connectivity. 
and avoids the issue of loneliness. And this is designed at the owner's option. I mean, you can choose to engage or not, yeah. but the design does not impede social connectivity. So I love that. Yeah. Let me give you one example. For years, amenity rooms were designed. You go down the hallway, you go into the room, and you come back out. I call that Box Canyon amenity. And they were always a bit creepy when you go in there, like no one's in there, and you go like, I'm all by myself. Well, in order to create socialized amenity, you need circulation to go through the amenity. So someone's got to go from here to here through the amenity. And once you start doing things like that, you create social connectivity. So we're the start, I believe, of a really big trend. And we're seeing it in hospitality. We're seeing it in the rise of clubs now, from the Soho Club internationally to all kinds of different other organizations, especially out of COVID. Like every private and public club is sold out because people are just craving social connectivity. So I think one of the trends you're going to see, and this is in full display at One Varsity, is that it's not just the home itself. It's what are you doing about creating a neighborhood? It's not about stacking units. It's about, I've got, yeah, it's about, I've got my home, but the way this community is created, I've got a vertical neighborhood and, you know, we're pre-selling obviously. So what does that mean to the resident, whether you're an owner or whether you're a guest or a venture renter? And it really comes down to demand and desirability because you guys know every community has that building or neighborhood where it's really hard to get into, right? Yeah. And then you ask yourself, why is it hard to get into? Yeah. Or there's a lineup of people that want to rent. There's a lineup of people that want to move. Homes get traded amongst families or friends. Like it's crazy, right? And yeah. I think it all comes down to how does that building or neighborhood create community and social connectivity? And those are the ones that are the most in demand. Well, one varsity may look great and it's yeah. going to have a good mix of product and everyone's going to have a range of product they can buy and all that kind of stuff. But the yeah. secret of One Varsity is not in the home. It's in the fact that it goes from a horizontal to a vertical neighborhood, great social connectivity, which will create demand for decades. It's just different. And, you know, maybe it's not as the most efficient building in the world because it's got a commitment to community greater than just simply stacking units. Yeah, to me, this is amazing because when we were in Shanghai for three years, we couldn't explain why it was such a great, vibrant city. And everyone said, oh, my God, the population there, you know, you're looking at... 30 million people, like essentially almost the population of Canada in one city. It yeah. must have been so hard to get around and meet people, but it wasn't. The community there was insane. And the amount of expats that we were connected with on a daily basis, this is sounding a lot like that, where everywhere you walked or transport or anything you did, you just inherently met people that you were always involved with. And you felt like a really strong sense of community. Yeah. You can't. I mean, I guess you can put a monetary value on it. You kind of have to, like, that's what your role is at some stage, but it was really hard to put your finger on it. So how do you come up with that vision? Like, obviously you're going to these different cities and you yourself are seeing this. Do you have a team that's doing some kind of data analysis that's figuring this stuff out? You know, it's really listening to the narrative because right before COVID, about a year, the Vancouver Sun ran a whole bunch of articles on loneliness and the issues yeah. around it. And then COVID hit. And then all the issues around lockdowns in Shanghai and everywhere and the social issues and the psychological issues we've been dealing with. And I'm living in a high rise. And I can't believe, you know, after having sold basically 30,000 condos around the world, yeah. I didn't live, didn't do a lot of condo living. And I'm now living in a condo and I'm going, 
my goodness, there is a significantly better way to live here. And I look at some of the buildings I did in the past and I go, we didn't think about adjacency of amenity and circulation. We had our checklist amenity and I can go through any building and go, oh yeah, it's got a checklist of amenity. I don't even care about that anymore. I do from the sense that you need to be able to live, right? Conveniently, but it's how they're organized that's way more important than the checklist of amenity. And I think this is a science that will continue now because condominium living, efficient sized homes, they're not going away. They are not going away. You saw it in Shanghai and you saw it in cities around the world. That's being introduced everywhere. Just the costs now to build product and what people can afford. So I think one of the key trends in real estate is not just about, like I said, the home itself. What community are you creating? And Every time I look at something, how do you create value and meaning? Well, the meaning is, okay, this is going to have social connectivity and community. The value is it's going to have hyper demand for decades to come. So if you're a resident and you want to sell one day, well, you've got a lot of people that want to buy in good markets and bad. And if you happen to own it, and let's say you move away and you want to rent it, you're going to have great demand because people want to be part of the community. So that's the value proposition. It's not in, you know, it's $10 a square foot cheaper. No, it's going to get $50 a square foot more in whether it's rent or price or, you know, whatever it may be, right? So, you know, like I said, as we densify, as things become smaller, I think one of the key trends is livability beyond your home. Way more properties are going to be judged against that going forward. You think like in the news and like you read, like there's like a loneliness epidemic going on like people getting older they're living with other spouses they are not connected with friends and family at the same time there's been this massive growth in everybody living in condos and you feel like are the two connected you know so i love your approach of kind of reinventing the condo to make it more inducive to help people with that issue and also people meeting each other and i think it's an awesome idea just thinking out loud i wonder if the cities are going to be making this kind of thing happen a lot like when they approve their designs and stuff like that i think there's emerging principles and science around it right? We went through this whole period of safety, right? Like, you know, overlooking cities and and how you make communities more safe, right? But I think the psychological impact of previous developments and of COVID are now just bringing this forward, right? And listen, we're pioneering a bit here. I get it. And in order to be successful, you have to explain the meaning and the value. And I think the meaning people get right away because everyone's been suffering from this issue of loneliness and lack of social connectivity, like you said, Matt, and it's appearing everywhere right now. Now the question is the value and the value really in my mind is in those communities that are demand than others. And that's going to play itself out once they get occupied. People go like, wow, you got to live here. This is the best place to live. Right. So just to make a note, the hospitality industry has been ahead of us. So hotels have evolved over the years. You look at a property like an A-loft, or the entire amenities in the lobby. So you look at that. I mean, you go to the fitness off the lobby. You just, you know, so you see this more and more. You know, when WeWork was doing its thing, that was all about social connectivity. They had packaged offices forever, right? But WeWork went, no, 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 no. We need to create a neighborhood. We need to create social connectivity. And it took off. And I just think you're going to see that. I look at it in retail. I look everywhere right now, and we're yearning for what you just said, Matt, in every type of real estate format. Yeah. You look at yeah. hotels versus the Airbnb model, and you know people want to stay in Airbnbs because they're in the heart of the community. They want to go out to the grocery store and the cafe and buy you know croissants and make their own breakfast, and it 
provides more of a community than kind of locking yourself in a hotel room. And that's what you're saying now is like hotels are competing with that and changing their amenity plan. So it's already a proven track record. So it's nice to see developers are, you know, evolving with it. So it's great vision. Yeah. In terms of that, how do you see this affecting the market then? Like if this is the catalyst to create Kelowna as more of an international city and population growth and youth and jobs. And what's this going to do to the market? Not just one varsity, but essentially the UBCO campus growing in Kelowna. Are we going to see, you know, prices increase? We've already seen, you know, obviously a supply and demand issue here, much like every other city. But I guess, you know, since this is the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast, I have to selfishly ask, where's the market going in Kelowna? Right. Great question. And again, like every market is supply and demand, right? And so 100% there will be more demand because you're putting a university in there and students are going to come. So, I mean, that couldn't be any more obvious, right? Yeah. I think the most important thing, the cultural impact that a university has on a city, okay? It just is a better place to live, whether it's for educational opportunities, whether it's partnership with the university and businesses, whether it draws more businesses in, more demand will be created because of the cultural impact that the university will have. But markets tend to find themselves that as you get more demand, you get more supply. And I worry less about hyperinflation of real estate values. Quite frankly, in new developments, most of the inflation is cost push inflation. In the resale markets, it's a bit different, right? But in new development, a lot of it is cost push. And our costs have gone up dramatically in the last three years. I mean, dramatically. And when I look at, you know, four story frame, six story frame selling for $1,000 a square foot, it's all cost push. There's no extra wow, developers are making a big profit because of demand. It's not the case. It's all cost push. You'll see concrete. Concrete's going to be 20, 30% more. And it's the reality of cost push inflation. And I mean, my family's going to be buying, you know, in our property. And it's because I see what's going on now and going, okay, this cost push is not changing right now. So I think you'll see development, especially with the government intention, development, keep pace with demand, especially downtown where it's denser. And that's where the density should be. And Kelowna gets better with density. For example, in one varsity, we were to go to the market last year this time, assuming we would have got all the approvals with the city. But inflation was doing this and interest rates were doing this. It was like, no one knew where it was going, right? Well, it's a little bit more stable now. But we took the time to redesign our main floor and put in a neighborhood urban market grocer, right? So that's as big an amenity for the city as anything right now, where people yeah. are going to walk to the likes of, and I only use this as an example, but the urban fairs and the choices or the different markets that you'd see, Nestor's yeah. thank you. That was what I was thinking of. But I mean, these are really cool. These are really cool places to go. And it just brings more fabric to the downtown. So there's a perfect example. You know, we changed course and we said, wow, we got to give back more to this neighborhood while we have this moment. And so we put that in and we've got the full bay for it. It's all set up for it. One of our partners is involved in that industry. So we added something that's going to add to the downtown of Kelowna. And you're going to see this all over as a result of the university. Is it going to be a perfect, you know, growth of supply and demand of everything? No, it'll be a bit jagged. The trend is right. You know, one of the cooler, greater cities you know, in the world is in the making right now. 
And I'm grateful for the governance of the city yeah. and the OCP and the work we've been doing with them. You know, I believe that UBCO campus, though, is really the catalyst that you're going to see Kelowna hit a stage that it hasn't to date. Yeah. yeah. What are the amenities in Glen Marcy? Obviously, the grocery store, like what else is there? It's got outdoor and indoor amenity. And, yeah. and we've put it on the top of our podium, right, the way it works. And our outdoor amenities like having a backyard. It's been designed to be like a backyard, right? Yeah. So it's got a lot of the amenities that you'd be familiar with, which would be, you know, hot tub, barbecue areas, dog areas, garden areas. You know, you could have parties out there, like a group of 10 people, yeah. long tables, all of that kind of stuff. So, and you, and you can see them when you go there. So, but think about our outdoor amenities as if it was a, as I mentioned, a horizontal neighborhood turned vertical. So you go, okay, you know, what's it like to have a backyard? And you need to have a backyard for a whole community. So that's the foundation there. And inside, it's really the organizing amenities from a community room with television there that people can gather, you have dinners, there's a private dining room if people want to take it out. There's a podcast room. You know, what? there's an esports oh, game. Where do we book? Yeah, 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 exactly. Most <laughs> of the inaugural podcast in. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do it. When is it going live? When do pre-sales start? Well, you know, we need to get our final city approvals. And we're working very closely with the planning department, which have been excellent, made our property better. And we're now just preparing all the materials, having early conversations in anticipation of that. But, you know, you still have to go through that process. There's a lot of people interested in the concept. You know, we have a real estate presentation area that we're in the middle of constructing. But just back to the amenity real quick, you know, we've yeah. got a co-working space and the co-working space flows out through the gym and we've got bulk laundry, we've got full pet areas and like there's a lot of amenities that work together and how you move from one to the other, as I spoke before, really is the thing that's going to create that social connectivity and interaction. What about uh, short-term rentals? So are you okay with that or how does that work in Lombard City? I mean, you know, you can't do Airbnb, right? Yeah. Understanding. I don't know the specifics of that. I really think right now we're in an awkward period with short-term rentals, long-term rentals, medium stay. I see this as much as a generational issue as I do Airbnb versus full-time. And that the next version of buildings, I believe, in conjunction with cities, need to really acknowledge the fact that people live differently. People just live differently. And that you can live in Kelowna for five months and live somewhere else for the rest. How is that going to work? And very familiar with Airbnb. with yep. the head of real estate and all the principals and that. And, you know, they're working on programs where rental buildings now are Airbnb certified and the tenants in the building can access the Airbnb model. And it's all now set up. They're doing an amazing job. They're also getting into the unfurnished rental business, you know, as a service. They don't even charge for it as long as buildings are certified so that the tenants can use their Airbnb and get rid of this weirdness. I just think we're in a really awkward state right now across residential we have strata corporations saying no way to Airbnbs. And really, yeah. what they're, I think what they're saying is our building's not designed to take Airbnbs. It's causing a lot of conflict. And then when they have that conflict, the politicians in the city say, we don't want that because these people are unhappy. Well, I think there's a generation of buildings coming. They're going to start addressing having Airbnb shorter term, midterm, and full-time residents living together in harmony. And so- this- when you like, talk about, about where do you come with these ideas, that's where I'm coming from. I'm thinking about this building like it's a beautiful building right across the street from UBC. I feel like it would be a perfect candidate to have students from September till June and Airbnb in the summer, right? Like a lot of those units are going to be empty from all the students leaving for the summer. And I just feel like Kelowna is a city where people come here in the summer. 
Like we are tourist destination city. We're just shelving Airbnbs. It's like kind of not addressing the way Kelowna actually runs year after year after year, right? And a building like this would be a perfect candidate for something like that. Well, I'm going to twist that a little bit, Matt. Your comment is spot on, okay? And I don't want to step into the political realm of Airbnbs because, as I said, buildings aren't designed to deal with that. And I think that's an issue. And I think the future is dealing with that. I would twist it this way. It's very hard to own a second home. And I think what One Varsity provides or any building like this that has community and all that stuff is you go live in the Okanagan from June 15th to August 30th in your home. Yeah. And you enjoy the life of the Okanagan and Kelowna. And when you're away, you can rent to faculty. You can rent to even teachers of high schools. You can rent to mature students because I think it's a more mature student campus that we have there. And so I think about way less about Airbnb in this circumstance and more as an opportunity to own a second home that doesn't cost you anything. And it's very hard to own a second home with the demands of everything else. But if you can put the down payment together, I think with this location being in the city it's in and the Okanagan and then married with your tenancies when you're not there, gosh, I think it's one of the coolest opportunities we've had in a long time. Yeah, I think you guys both have really valid point. And Sid, that is super interesting because I haven't really thought of it in that way a lot in Kelowna because a lot of the time I'm looking at purchasing properties here for rental income and Airbnb and it's like, okay, what do we do in the off season? But if you switch the narrative to be like, okay, I'm going to do a nine month lease with a student have some income based off that and then have somewhere to live for the summer. Cause otherwise, if you were to buy a property here as an Airbnb yep. investment, but you still wanted to be in Kelowna, that means you have to leave the best time of the year to use it as a rental. So then where do you go? You know, you want to be yeah. here June to September. So yeah, really cool mindset. I love that. Yeah. I will say, I think we're going to probably delay releasing this episode until the pre-sales are done. Cause I don't want to promote this at all. I want to buy one of these units myself. <laughs> so <laughs> You're getting me super excited about well, this. You know, you know, Taylor, I mean, listen, you know, if I may add one thing, I believe right now that cost push inflation is starting to change the way people buy real estate. Taylor, when you're in Shanghai and you look at locals there, you look at people who immigrate to Canada, okay? And their outlook for real estate is, I'm going to own this for 50 years, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, I'm flipping something and... My mindset has changed this way as well. One, because of my travel. And two, because I sold my family home of 30 years. And I realized, my gosh, the long-term effect of time has on your family's wealth. I believe that there's only certain real estate that is multi-generational. I believe concrete is one of those. Concrete real estate, high rises. Land is one of those, right? I really do. I believe that in my heart. And I think what you're going to see because real estate's getting a lot more expensive. And I see this as people first generation to Canada, they pool their resources. Like I can actually see siblings coming together and buying one of these. And the thought is not, oh, we're going to flip it or we're going to do it. No, 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 no. This is gold bar real estate. It's almost like higher education real estate. Like I know for the home that we'll buy there, there's no horizon to sell it. Like we don't even yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. So what we buy today and we'll pay the mortgage off and that'll go over time. But I'm not thinking about it as, oh, you know, we're going to buy this and flip it or do it. No, 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 no. This is a long-term gold bar. 
And I think that we have a number of factors. And so when I'm looking at real estate now, I look at it with a way different horizon maybe than I would have when I was younger, right? Looking at it now, I just think the cost of real estate is going to have people merge their you know, assets that they can yeah. then buy something because everything's more expensive and they're going to look longer term because that's when their payoffs are going to come. So I see that as a pretty big influence over the next little while. Yeah, uh, we agree. And like Taylor and I talk about how beneficial it is to be in the market. And the biggest thing is breaking into the market, like just owning real estate. So I think that's exactly right. People are going to start pooling, combining assets to buy. And, and then you're at least in the market, you're gaining the appreciation and you're setting yourself up for the future. So even for the people's first time home purchases or different situations, I think, yeah, like pulling the resources for sure. It's almost like a must at this point. I'm going to buy this for my son, you know, in 20 years, he can go live in it. That's yeah. Yeah, right. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. My son, I might do the same thing too. <laughs> yeah. But my three kids are young adults, right? Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking about is how do we buy condos as we go along? But the, our horizon is 20 years. It is not five years, right? And yeah. so I think that there's only some real estate you can do that with. And I do believe this is one of them. It's location. It's like I said, the concept we spoke about and so on. Yeah. Yeah. We got to cut this off at some point because we know you probably have to go get some Guinness in you and you got a ton of other meetings. <laughs> yeah. It's time of day there. So yeah, we're going to yeah. fire some roundup questions for you here. Time for everyone's favorite part of the show. The ice maker section brought to you by myself, Matt Glenn. I think I know the answer to the first one. If you could purchase one property in the Okanagan in the next 12 months, what would it be? I don't know. Maybe I got a one varsity. Okay. All right. Next okay. Besides one varsity, is there anything else that would interest you? Well, my focus would be downtown. Absolutely 100% downtown. So, you know, I'm in the middle of this investment and it'll come to market and we'll buy. I love downtown Kelowna. I think it's one of the greatest opportunities in Canada right now for all the reasons I said. Beyond what I'm doing, I'm looking at it going, I got to get something downtown Kelowna and hold it forever. Like, it really is that clear. Couldn't be any clearer to me. It's a city in the making. When you see it coming your way and you don't get in front of it, come on. Like, it's there for us to do something with. So Taylor and I preach this every time we get on here. Like, it's only one way for it to go. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, and especially we're looking back 30 years. I mean, so the answer is something downtown. It will be a residential property. And some form of commercial. It'll yeah. be a concrete building with yeah. well laid out amenities. <laughs> UBC old campus. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> why I was the social economy in the community. Yeah. yeah. I love that. What's the best thing that you spent a small amount of money on lately that's improved your life? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know what small is. Whatever um, you think. I'll just say the greatest thing I've ever bought is yeah. my little 22-foot sailboat that I go sailing in the bay down at Boundary oh, Bay, Missouri. Yeah. Well, it's, you can't replace sailing, right? And uh, people come on board. It's only 22 feet, and it's we have the best time. So nothing better than a Saturday afternoon for three hours on a sunny summer. Like, doesn't get any better than that, right? And, so did you know how to sail before you bought the boat, or did you just, like, buy the boat and be like, hey, let's figure this out. Everyone wash their heads. Like, what happened? No, no. I was a sea cadet when I was a kid to learn how to sail to learn yeah. how to sail. And yeah. then I took a course when I was in my late 20s. And, you know, when I had the opportunity in 20, I don't know, like in the 2000s, late few years ago. Yeah, I just said, Hey, I want to buy one of these and let's go. So I got to ask. So my wife's from Vancouver Island. So when we relocated, like we were overseas for a while. And then when we came to Kelowna, she's looking on Lake Okanagan. And she's like, why are there sailboats on a lake? Like, what are they doing out there? I don't know. To me, growing up here, it's like, there's lots of wind. It's a long lake. It's great for sailing. Yeah. You want to go sailing in Kelowna? Like, is it a good sailing lake? Or are you like, no, it's got to be on the ocean? 
Absolutely great lake. It's like Shuswap. So Shuswap and Lake Okanagan. Only issue is the weather there at times can be variable. So you've got to be able to drop your sails and get the motor going, right? Because you can get some pretty hefty winds. And so the only thing about sailing on lakes and, you know, Lake Dillon in Colorado, big lake up there, you know, any of these sort of mountain lakes, you do have issues of storms can whip up pretty quickly. So you just have to be conscious of weather and get ahead of it. When you see it brewing, sails down in all good. You know, my buddy in Penticton sold his houseboat and bought a sailboat, to give you an idea. And I think sailing will grow because, you know, sometimes it's not very good for power boating. And it's better to be for sailing because of the wind, right? And if you want to be on the water, you know, if you can afford it, you'll have one of each, right? That's the perfect scenario if you can. And I think large lake sailing is just beautifully natural. Cool. I'll yeah. let her know then. Yeah. I appreciate the support. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. What is the, uh, what's the best book or quote you have for us? I actually collect quotes and I think my favorite and the one that I use as a guide, especially when I'm leading companies and growing companies is Nelson Mandela's yeah. speech. His inaugural speech when he became president of South Africa. You know, it's called Our Deepest Fear and it's really yeah. around, you know, who are you not to be great? You know, our greatest fear is being great. It's not yeah. failure. And yeah. I think that applies personally within your family, especially within companies, right? Like I'll probably read that every six months. I find yeah. it incredibly inspiring. So if any of your listeners want to check it out, Nelson Mandela's 1994 inaugural speech called The Deepest Fear. And I find that most inspiring. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You should check that out. Can yeah. you put that in the notes? Can you put yeah. that in the notes? I'll send it to you. That. I'll send it to you. You guys can put it in, but I think people get a lot of value out of that. Absolutely. We'll definitely do that. Yeah. 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 All right, Sid. Well, how can we or our listener help you out? What can we do to help you? The greatest thing, I yeah. think, for any developer, I think for any marketing and sales representative, is for people to really share with us what they want, what they need, both before they buy and when they buy. And I think that relationship, I mean, I've been very fortunate to have represented so many great developers, more importantly, work with so many buyers. And I think that ongoing dialogue shouldn't stop. I think it needs to be continuous, you know, and your guys' effort to foster the real estate dialogue, I think is hugely valuable. So, you know, to the extent that we continue to share that information, it'll just make our properties better. It'll just make environments better. Yeah. And I think that when we can bring that narrative in with the city, where you've got yeah. people that are guiding the city, hearing from the real estate professionals and the people that are occupying the real estate, I think that's the greatest thing. So I think it's really the narrative around not how you stop this being a great city, but the narrative around how you can make it a great city because it's coming. Once you decided to put the university in, you changed the direction of Kelowna forever. And now it's all about, let's not talk about stopping. Let's talk about making it the best it can be because cities around the world have done a great job on that. And it's going to come from input from everyone. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, loved having you on. Honestly, this was a great way to start the day. Yeah. Next time you're in Kelowna, let us know and we'll have you in the studio and We'll do this again. We're going to the one varsity to studio, Taylor. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, we got it. We got it there. We got a co-working yeah. space. We got everything in the presentation we'll area. So yeah. yeah, you know what? I'll text you guys and we'll meet up next time I'm in Kelowna. Even just grab I a love that. Be Let's do that, please. Likewise. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Anyway, enjoy. Uh, have a great time in Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.